The Birth Circle podcast features experts in all the nuanced areas of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum with the aim of helping women make the choices that will keep them safe, healthy, and empowered. We respect all birth choices and believe in supporting informed consent and evidence-based practices. Nothing said on this podcast should be taken as medical advice. You should always seek the advice of a competent professional for your care. Welcome to the Birth Circle podcast. with Birth Circle. And today I'm excited to talk about doulas and business with Patty Brennan. And Patty is is the owner and visionary force behind Lifespan Doulas. That's a doula training and certification agency offering online birth, postpartum, and end-of-life doula training and a doula business development support. For 40 years, she's been a doula, midwife, educator, author, nonprofit, nonprofit executive, and successful entrepreneur and all the things. (laughs) Patty has personally trained over 2,000 people to become doulas, and as the founder and executive director of two community-based nonprofits, nonprofit doula programs in Michigan, Patty has helped make doulas widely available in her home state, especially for low-income families. She's also the author of the Doula Business Guide, How to Create a Successful Birth, Postpartum, and End of Life Doula Business, and the Doula uh, Business Guide Workbook, both in their third editions. So I feel like I found the source, the the best person to talk on this subject. <laughs> well, I'm certainly I'm certainly a person to talk to. On yeah. <laughs> I've, get, I've given a lot of thought to uh, sustainability for the doula profession. Yeah, and um, I've said this, you know, in conversation that the only way we can have any change in this industry, the only way we end up empowering moms in their births is if we keep doulas in business. It's, yeah, moms need all the information, moms need the support, but who does that information and support? So doulas. And if they're cycling in and out too fast, they never really get traction, then we have an industry that's not mature enough to really make lasting change, right? That's true. Yeah. And I think the the quality that maybe is missing that, you know, that some folks are missing in, 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 is too, it, it, well, part of it might be missing the guidance that they need for how to be a businesswoman because mm-hmm. what really lights their fire is to support moms and babies and families and, and partners. So they're, you know, they're focused on that and not so much on what it would take to run a business or set that up. So it's just sort of, maybe a lack of, of knowledge, but then even when people begin to embrace that process a little bit, um, I, I think the missing quality is persistence sometimes because it, the, the startup place for doulas is very, um, it's very lonely at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It really so you is. take training and you're involved in this sense of community and excitement with the other people that you're training with and everybody's you know, got a fire in their belly when they leave the training. And then they go home to the, and they're in their own head and, you know, kind of cr- trying to create something from nothing and nobody knows who they are, what they're doing. And so it's a sort of a lonely place to be in the beginning. Wow. And, and it gets easier if you can persist through that. It, and there's, there's also like kind of maybe a sense of it being daunting because there's so many moving parts to um, setting up a business and running a business and, and you know, being learning to be good at that, mastering new skills, all of that. So it's, it's challenging and kind of overwhelming, I think, initially. Mm-hmm. So people really do need, I think, a little hand-holding, a friend, whether it's a good book that's helping them 
you know, guiding them through it or um, however they learn best, like um, uh, in community with other people, you know, or uh, online training, like, but whatever it is, some sort of more systematic way of, of approaching it and being able to chart progress and seeing that you're making progress. But I, I often think of it as a sort of like this up, upside down triangle at the mm -hmm. beginning, and you're at the very point of the, at the, at the, at the bottom side of that in that lonely place. But as you serve more families and you reach out to more people, you're not only serving those families who may become like repeat customers in the future for you, you're, you're connecting with all of their contact people. You're being ex exposed to their social networks, to their um, family members who may also be present at the birth or yeah. you know, their sisters, their cousins, their friends. Uh, and so the more people you serve, the easier it is for word to spread about you. And you just have to sort of persist through that lonely startup place. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to go into that lonely startup place of, uh, you know, how to get main, major traction. First, I want to know how you got into this birth world in the first place. What was your introduction? I mean, 40 years is a long time. I mean, were women even having babies that long ago? I'm just kidding. I'm 40. <laughs> yes, we were. Um, let's see. So yeah, it was, I came to it in 1983 uh, was sort of my beginning. And the thing is, I wasn't like really young at the time. I was in, uh, I think I had just turned 30. Um, I uh, I'd had my first son and I was very clueless about, about that process. I didn't read any books. I didn't have any support. I just, you know, but I'd had that, the really good attitude of like, well, I have a woman's body and it, and I, <laughs> I it out. probably knows how to have a baby. So my mother had five. So I, I had like a positive gut, I think, um, self-image around it, which I find missing mm -hmm. in a lot of today's um, culture, like the women in this um, generation. Um, but anyway, uh, and, and then I, I met a home birth midwife, so it was sort of out of the clue, but prior to that point in my life, I had never worked any job more than 10 months. Mm. Um, I, I don't, I, I say now it's like, I, I don't do bosses. <laughs> so I think it was part of my personality was that I just didn't really like working for other people. And then after my son was born, I became self-employed. So I started my own small business, a uh, home business, home-based business had nothing to do with birth. But um, I kind of grew that over the few years of when he was little and uh, it was provided. So it, you know, it was paying the groceries as I sort of started dipping my feet into um, birth work. And it, that really came through meeting a, a midwife who was lived in my neighborhood. I just happened mm. to strike up a comment. Her son jumped in my son's sandbox. <laughs> And uh, that was wow. The that was the beginning of my career uh, in birth because from the day I met her, I was just like, "That's really, 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 really interesting." Yeah. <laughs> and then midwives like, wait, in the wait a minute, you're what? You do what? And then I just started borrowing books from her library, and basically, I think became kind of a pest in her life because I'm like, I, I, I want to be you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the, so, and the midwives of the eighties were pretty cool ladies. And yes. sometimes I say, I have to remind my contemporaries that a lot of the love, the lovely things we enjoy in our birth industry. I mean, some States are easier than others, but really in general, all of the beautiful things we enjoy are thanks to those fiery 1980s midwives, the ones that were willing to go to jail. <laughs> I, I, I agree. And I was very impressed by that. I, I, I like the sort of, you know, I think 
suited my personality, the sort of countercultural aspect of it, the, yep. you know, the one outside yep. the system and all of that. And it was the cusp of the return of home birth midwifery is kind of right when it was. I yep. was, was coming into that. And so I found the whole thing very um, exciting. And, uh, and, and so that was the beginning. And then from there, I went on to become a childbirth educator, just happened to be like a a door, a little serendipitous thing that happened. And I took a training and a job was offered to me and it actually ended up being um, a very consistent part of what I did for over the rest of my career was, uh, you know, doing some, some form of adult education around birth and um, postpartum that, that just, that just took off and it became part, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, very consistent part of what I did while all these other things sort of came and went, you know, being a birth doula, being a home birth midwife, being postpartum doula, end of life work, um, starting these nonprofit organizations to for volunteer doula programs. So there, there was like all my focus at any given time for a seven or 10 year period, you know, might have been uh, it changed, but there was always education was part of it. Yeah, very, very cool. Okay, so tell me, um, when you when you start being a, do, a birth doula, what are some of the business models you can start with? How, how do you just jump in? I mean, you're, you mentioned you go to the training, you're surrounded by all this exciting, these exciting uh, other doulas, like a sisterhood, and the, the community is really, you feel very welcome and strong, and then you leave, you go back home, and there's, it's you're alone yeah. in your head. So how do you start? How do you get your business model? How do you get off the ground as a doula? So some folks, and I know this is this is kind of controversial because a lot of people really don't believe um, that doulas should do any volunteer work at all. So there's definitely like a um, a, a train, a, you know, a, a wing. I would say you know, a group of people who feel very strongly that doulas should never offer discounted services, or that if one one doula decides to volunteer her services for a family, that that somehow uh, lowers the value of doulas for everybody. I've never, I don't believe that. I, I don't buy into that um, mindset that it's bad if somebody else wants to volunteer and that that's going to affect my ability to earn. So I would encourage new doulas um, to get to birth any way that they can. So if it's family members, sisters, you know, uh, or even volunteering in their community, um, and it may not be, I mean, they may be able to just right away start, have some people lined up that they're going to um, charge fees for services and just jump in with both feet. But rather than sit around for two hours and let all of your passion be, you know, go down the drain, mm -hmm. um, I would say, you know, start trying to get to some births. And some people find that they can do that by, um, you know, by volunteering or helping like a family that maybe really could use some help or teen moms or, you know, whatever mm -hmm. your whatever you whatever you want to do. Some people work through like a faith community that they're a member of and maybe help somebody out. Um, but there are ways to get to birth. Right? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. To start, sure. to start doing that, you know, sooner it will um, help people who are inexperienced, um, especially maybe some of those doulas who haven't had children themselves, just feel more confident in presenting and claiming that the title doula, like in saying without hesitation or apology, like I'm a birth doula mm -hmm. and to believe it and to own that identity and then just try to do your best for people, you know, wherever you are in your knowledge and experience level, like, of course, you'll get better if after 10 years, but yep. you know, you have something to offer somebody right now, right? That's what I say too, right out of the gate, right yeah. out of your training. And that's, I think what the people uh, that don't want doulas to discount or do anything for free, they say, you know, once you're trained, you're trained and it's not, um, 
I, I, I've told people that the only difference between now and right after my training in terms of how I am at birth is I don't cry at the actual birth anymore. I've seen enough <laughs> births that I don't, I don't cry, but as far as the skill, no, I'm very skilled. And, and maybe I'm a little bit more attuned when I see somebody else in the room that needs something or like how I could better serve the family, but not that much more than when I first was trained. So, yeah. Yeah. So when I, when I felt ready to give up the on-call lifestyle, then part of that was because I just didn't want to, um, you know, to keep, to keep being on call and living that lifestyle, but I didn't want to, um, I, I was kind of burned out. So at the very end, I kind of recognized like this woman who called me in labor at one in the morning. And at one point I like literally cried. I, I literally burst into tears when I hung up the phone because I didn't, I didn't want to be doing this. Yeah. The on-call life is hard. Okay. I would rather have a completely inexperienced doula at my birth who felt like it was the greatest privilege and honor of her life to be there and to give me her all and be to all in focused and wanting to be there. I would rather have that person at my birth than me at, when I was burned out at the very end of my career of doing that. Right. Yeah, that's like, a great point. So, so, so to me, it's about the energy you bring to the birth and, and, and it's your personality and who you are. And that's what the parents and the couple that are hiring you are attracted to. That's what they want. They want, you know, they want your energy. They want you. I mean, you could, you could have been to 200 births, but if they don't click with you, they're not going to hire you. Mm-hmm. So experience isn't everything. And I think um, newly trained doulas do themselves a disservice when they focus on the negative side of things, when they focus on that part of themselves where they're like, you know, this little negative voice that we all have in our head that tells us, you know, you're not good enough, you're not experienced enough, you don't know enough, you know, the the, the sort of Debbie Downer voice, you know, yeah. in our heads that tells us negative things instead of saying, you know, really focusing on what we can do for that person and what we want to do and what we do bring to the table. So mm-hmm. it's just really, it's really an attitude to focus on your strengths and your heart and, and, you know, what, what you can do as opposed to what you think your deficiencies are. Everybody has deficiencies. Yeah, exactly. Everybody does for sure. But you, you bring a great point that you'd rather have a bright eyed, bushy tailed brand new doula than somebody who's at the end of their career and doesn't really, it doesn't really matter to them. (laughs) Your birth is not like, Oh yeah. Another birth today. Oh my God. I'm so tired. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And also just as a doula knowing when, when that point is going to get, so you can avoid you know, going to yeah, complete the day burnout. That I did that. It held up a real mirror to me. I was like, moms deserve, my clients deserve better than this. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like it's time for me to bow, you know, okay, like, this is a sign. And I yeah. didn't carry it past that because I really knew that, you know, it could have felt that I felt done with it. Yes. So, so the traditional, um, the traditional doula model is you, you get a client to hire you, you're on call, you show up for the birth, well, you get paid and you show up for the birth. Are there any other more creative models that you've seen doulas, um, like payment structures or anything? I know this is kind of a hard question, but that, that could avoid burnout or that could just, just creative. Yeah, that was, I think, one of the most uh, noticeable things when I was preparing to write the third edition of my book, The Doula Business Guide. So I, the first edition came out in 2010 and, you know, kind of 
put things together for that time. Four years later, it was I felt like, oh, we need a second edition. There's been a lot of changes in the doula world. And then the same thing. So that was 2014 for the second edition and then 2019. Well, then I felt like things had really changed by, you know, from the, especially even just in five years. So I did a lot of interviews of different doulas and different, some people who were agency owners who owned doula agencies, some people who were in collective models, some people who were in partnerships, some people in solo practice in both the US and Canada. So I, I did a lot of interviewing for that, um, for this third edition. And one of the things that was really jumped out at me was how creative doulas had gotten with sustainability. So um, I think that this is, uh, it's a really important question that you're asking, Sarah. And I think it's, it's been on doulas' minds, like increasing people are saying, okay, I really love doing this, but how am I gonna, how can I make it sustainable? Or how can I do this on-call on lifestyle without it, um, you know, burning me out completely or being too hard on my family or friend, you know, my social mm -hmm. life? whatever it is. So um, people can, I mean, and so some of the models, so it's, I don't think there's a necessarily a right fit for everybody. I think everybody's a little bit different. Some people are going to be happiest as solo practitioners and just working with backup doulas that they have like a pool, maybe of backup mm -hmm. doulas that they've cultivated who will have their back when they, when, when you need it. Um, other people are going into full out partnership mode. So in that model you can really switch off like responsibility there's times when you're just off call or you don't have to I mean depending on how busy your practice is you might still get called in if you had um, two women in labor at the same time but generally like in a partnership the idea would be that you have built in backup there uh, to definitely have times where the client knows from the beginning like I'll get I'm gonna get one or the other of these two people or one or the other of these three people uh, in a in a partnership mm -hmm. Now there's a lot of challenges to that model, and I've I've detailed those pretty extensively in my book. Um, you know why partnerships are so are hard. Why are they hard? I guess the bottom line is that um, everybody has to really feel if you're going to be splitting the money equally, fifty fifty, or you're splitting it three ways. However, like if you're if you're doing a completely shared. In, you know, uh, here's all of our income, here's the expenses against that income, and here's what's left over for us to pay ourselves at the end of the day, you have to really feel that everybody's carrying their weight, you know, that everybody's putting in equal effort, and that, yeah. that you're splitting up of the money, and that it isn't just equal effort, it's also skill and result, like outcome, mm -hmm. like that everybody brings equal value, mm -hmm. And that's a very hard thing to assess and for everyone to agree on. Yeah. Yep. And then even if they agree on it, there could be a birth that throws everything off or there's, you know, yeah, people and have most, bad days. Yeah. And most people are really, I mean, you know, that would be the benefit of working with other people. You could have a bad day. You could, you know, you could say, you know, I'm just, I'm, my kid's sick. I think I'm, you know, can you, do you have my back for, can I, can I, can I take a break here? And, and then assuming that when I say yes to that as your partner, that the payoff is going to come back when I need it, right? Right, definitely. So, and that's fine. And if that's how it actually ends up working in real time, but if if your partner ends up needing lots of help, you know, because, oh, my husband, we're going through a divorce. So my, you know, my mother's sick. I mean, and this happens. I mean, people, life happens, right? So you're in a partnership and somebody's not carrying their weight for whatever reason. I mean, it could be that they're being lame or it could be that they have a lot of personal crisis, whatever it is. And you have compassion for that. But at the bottom of the end of the day, if you're doing all the hard work and you're getting 50% of the money, 
you're not going to be happy in your mm-hmm. partnership, you know, and you're going to, there's going to be a disconnect there. And yeah. so it's really hard. A, a, a successful partner, and the more people you add into that equation, the harder it gets. Yeah, for sure. So, so then how does an agency work? So the agency owner um, is accepted. They're, they're basically like a solo act. I mean, you know, they might have a partner. There might be two people that own the agency, and that's, you know, that's a different kind of thing. But from the doula working for the agency, I mean, you're a contract worker for them. And so um, they're doing all of the business side of things. I mean, if you're like, I don't really want to create a website. I don't want to figure Find out what clients and yeah, yeah. I don't want to mm-hmm. sell myself. I don't want to, you know, so they negotiate the client, they set the fees, they negotiate the client contracts, they do the marketing, they, they do the intake, they're doing everything. And then they're saying, Hey, you know, you're like, you're an approved doula. You're, you're one of their stream of people that they, a contract worker that they might refer to. And they all come and say, Hey, Patty, do you want to work with this woman who's due such and such a day? She's got, you know, and, and kind of lay out some of the parameters of first baby at such and such hospital. And the contract doula can say yes or no. So there's a lot of, um, I, I think some people think that if you don't have the relationship with the, the, mother right from the start that it makes for an awkward birth so you're saying agency births you basically get called in much like an ob or somebody staff nursing you get called it called into a birth or maybe you have some prenatal experience with them but ultimately you're working for the agency not the the mom directly so you're so, yeah you are working for the agency owner but and and you're right you I mean, and, and then they might set it up like, uh, so some owners um, actually assigned two birth, one owner I talked to assigned two birth doulas to every client. But I, my understanding is that there was an interview, it might have been, I'm trying to re- remember now. Yeah, I mean, everybody that, can run it differently, but. Yeah, but it might have been like a two-stage interview process. So the, um, maybe the owner did a quick interview to sort of see like uh, you know answer a few questions and and then if the people were interested in pursuing say well let me look and see who's available and see if I can find a good match for your needs yeah I was gonna say that could be a major advantage of doing an agency is that you can be matched it's like a matchmaker they can see uh, through you and what you need and then match you with the best person instead of you having to go out and interview a bunch of different doulas so there are there's some definite advantage I hadn't thought of ideally and and from the doula's perspective, I mean, this should not be like you could be building your own business theoretically. You could be sort of, all right, I'm I'm thinking long term. I'm not going to work for a doula agency, but I need money now, and uh-huh. I want to get first right after training. If there's an agency in your area, maybe you know, um, giving them a call and connecting with them. Now, I there are some agency owners out there who are doing something that basically they shouldn't be doing. It's not actually legal. <laughs> Um, but they're calling people contract workers who are really their employees, like they're treating you like an employee and they're having you sign a, uh, a do not compete um, like clause in their mm. contract with you. And they, they really can't do that because it's, it's a definition contract worker or employee. That's, that's like an IRS definition. Yep. And so there's categories. Uh, I mean, there's a, a whole checklist of stuff like, are you a contract worker or are you an employee? And if you're telling someone they can't have a competing yep. other source of income, then you're, 
they're actually definitely an employee. An and employee also, if you're telling contract. them when to show up, and um, so that's the main caveat. I would say, you know, if you're looking, if you have a doula agency who's preventing you from taking your own clients, um, then that's a problem. But they're all going to try to protect their interests. That you can't go sell your services to their clients separately and cut out the middleman mm-hmm. of the agency owner. Right? They're all going to have some kind of clause to protect themselves that that well, that would well be- honestly if you've got a good agency running a business ex- is expensive i tell my clients yeah. that it, it costs about 30 percent of the income at least in taxes but on top so yes. even up as high as half your income goes towards business expenses and if that agency is taking care of it for you then a 50 percent pay and i put in quote pay cut you know, so say you're, say you're yeah. charging to the, the agency's charging the mom $2,000 and you're only getting a thousand of it. And on the, on the direct market, you could charge 2000 as well, but then you've got a thousand in expenses, taxes and stuff and all that work, right. All and all that work, all the extra work of, yeah, right. that business stuff. Then it's really, it's, it's really a great deal. If, if the model works for you, it's this, you know, you get, yeah, it is. And a lot of people too, I, I find for me, like a lot of people come from doula training. I'm not, it's not that they don't want to make it sustainable, but they might be using it as a stepping stone to another career like midwifery or is something in public health or social work or whatever. So a lot of people, it's not their endpoint, but they, they might hang out there for a while and yeah. really, you know, serve a lot of families and make a, make a difference for families in a positive way for a few years. And this you know, just makes more sense if they're like, no, I'm not going to you know, I'm moving around. I'm still young. I'm still mobile. Who knows what I'm going to do? Like they don't want to set up a whole business. Then, you know, working for an agency makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, how do they get started? How do you start your doula career? I mean, you can technically just start taking births. You don't even need to be trained. There's no certifying agency or certifying body. That's, that's yeah. Yep. Knows licensing. Anybody, right? I don't think doulas are licensed in any state. They are birth doulas are licensed in um, Oregon and Minnesota. You have to be like, is it just a business license or do you actually have to be trained? Well, no, I mean, so that, that means that the state has taken over, like said, oh, we're going to, we're going to regulate this profession. And, and the motive for doing that in, in those states and, and a lot of other states have efforts towards that type of legislation right now, like Michigan does. Um, have an effort uh, towards that, New York and uh, many, many states, because basically what they want ultimately is for Medicaid to to provide reimbursement for lower income families, you know, for birth doula services. Mm. So so that's happening right now in Oregon and Minnesota that, um, but then the government's going to set the reimbursement rate. I know, I'm I'm not a fan of that. I I, I mean, I guess I'm okay. I'm okay with it. I, I, doulas for low income families, for sure that if Medicaid could pay, that would be amazing. But why does it have to be a licensure or could there be a two way street? Like in, in Utah, you can choose to be licensed or you can choose not to as a midwife. Well, and so that's the real question. It's like, are they outlawing people who are not licensed or discriminating against mm -hmm. them? You know, and I'm not quite sure what exactly what the laws say in those states, but that's definitely the thing to be um, careful about, and that's what's happened with home birth midwifery, as different states have, um, you know, began to license home birth midwives. It, they weren't licensed at all in Michigan when I was active in the 80s and 90s, um, and now in, recently there was legislation passed where in Michigan the, the midwives are licensed, and you know, so so yeah, it's literally mm-hmm. against the law, law if you're not um, if you're not licensed. 
through that through that system yeah so so yes then it becomes you know messy and then so, they can but, start to dictate what you can do and can't do and they're gonna you know come up with anything they want basically you've got the government involved in um regulating the profession and they're yeah. gonna do what they do well there's expected you know scope of practice that you'll learn in your training but then right. you get the government saying you can't touch her on her shoulders but you can touch her on her arms or something weird like that and you're like come on <laughs> something like that. I don't know. Um, so, but they, how long do trainings usually last and what type of experience, um, how long does do training? Yeah. 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 Like how hard is it to get into this career? So, um, you know, I, I mean, compared to many careers, I think it's, it's a fairly quick, it, it can be fairly quick depending. I mean, I've seen people take over, you know, from a year to even two years to, um, finish like a certification process. Um, I, I personally, I, I have recently with through Lifespan Duelist, my company have really streamlined the certification process so people can do it pretty quickly. Um, and a lot of the motive for that was um, the COVID uh, crisis and basically out of hospitals saying, in, at least in our area and many other areas, that unless you're certified, you can't, your doula can't come in. They can only have one support person, but they could have a doula if the doula is certified. So certification all of a sudden took on more value. Um, I have to, to laugh because in Utah, they were doing that. They tried to do that to us too. And there's no certifying body that's not that agrees I mean, on anything. So people were dubbing each other, like a friend would certify their yes. other friend because it was so, it's so ridiculous. Cause a trained doula is the same as a certified doula. The only thing is the certified doula pays some money towards an agency, a, a, you know, or an education body to be, you know, and, and has a certain number of births under her belt and education, but that's it. There's that's it. <laughs> so what I did was I, as of, at the end of, um, April this year, I dropped an affiliation. I'd been a Dona International trainer for uh, almost 20 years. I dropped that affiliation because their process is very involved. Many people, a lot of hoops to jump through, a lot of extra fees after the training. You have to get to three births, which is a total catch 22 here in COVID. And it was impossible for people to get certified basically. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but it was always difficult. And I was, you know, always having feedback that many people took the training. They thought they wanted that certification, but the reality is they didn't pursue it after training because it was too ridiculous. So I've made a very streamlined thing. Um, I offered it free to everybody who who had trained with me in the past as a kind of gift and to help them get to births um, during COVID and have had an amazing response to it. And basically they take an exam online and they read a couple books. They finish, they show that they've had some type of professional training and I certify them. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've had people do this very quickly now. And uh, people who hadn't trained with me, I charged a hundred dollars for it, you know, just because I mean, no, it is my time. Um, yeah, to, yeah. to do that. But then we give them a directory listing and we try to build some other value into it for them. And then they're certified and it's a lifetime certification, no fees, no hoops, no ongoing anything. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm just so done with all of that. Um, it's just a way to line the pockets of the certification of the training organizations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just a, it's just a passive income stream for them. Honestly, is what it is, is the marketing language. It's, oh, it's my passive income stream that this many people will have to keep coming back and giving me money. Um, so I, I don't know, I can make a decent money. I can make a decent living without that. So I don't really... Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. So once you get trained, then how do you overcome the aversion to selling yourself? Because a lot of women, they come into this career because they're passionate. They, I mean, somebody who's willing to wake up at 3am 
on the dime and drive across the state. That is passion and dedication. So it's not a lack of that or a lack of training Mm -hmm. or a lack of education, but a lot of people have an aversion to selling themselves. It feels weird to sell their passion. Yeah. And I think um, for me, a lot of it is reframing. So the first thing to reframe is that somehow there's this dichotomy that if you love the work and you would so much that you would do it for free and you'd even be willing to volunteer because you just love it so much that somehow if you love it, then it's not worth anything, mm-hmm. you know, in, in terms of monetary value, like that there's some completely essentially incompatible as, you know, component to, to loving it and getting paid really well for it. So I think that's a belief system that people unconsciously often have embraced. Like there's just part of their whole, like work has to be hard. Do you have a lifelong belief that, that work sucks? <laughs> that's you know? a really good point. So just to fra- rephrase what you said, if, if you believe that you're passionate <laughs> and that this is your passion, that it's somehow non-valuable because work should suck. Yeah. That if you love uh, it. And people have that belief without ever examining it. They don't really know it's operative in their life. But if they thought about their relationship to money and work and what they believed about it, they would realize they already have like a major obstacle to being successful as an entrepreneur because they think that those two things are are essentially incompatible. (laughs) So you need to reprogram that for sure. I love it. You You need to embrace the idea that the actually the the trick of a life well lived is to find what you should be doing in your life where you can bring value to other people and enjoy to yourself and get paid for it at the same time because Mm -hmm. otherwise you don't have the energy left over at the end of the day to do a good job for those for you know for for your the thing that you're passionate exactly and then that is that leads to burnout which is my next question what is burnout? What does it look like for doulas? What what can prevent it? Okay, How do you know you're Mind experiencing it. Can I circle back? Of to, course. Okay, so there's one other thing that I think helps with um, that that helped me with embrace selling myself. Oh yeah, sorry. And, and, oh, getting over that. Super okay. Excited to talk about burnout. <laughs> no, no, and I'm fine. We'll go there in a minute. Um, but but yeah, the the, the aversion to selling oneself. So. I reframed it and it was, I decided to start taking some marketing, um, giving myself a marketing education because after I'd been in business for like almost 30 years, I mean, the internet came in, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of changes happened in the society and people are having websites. And so I just was like, I'm really out of date here. I need to update how I think about all of this. And so I started taking different trainings and listening to podcasts and things like that. And just really actively pursuing marketing education, how to market yourself. And I began to understand it better. And then I realized like, I really didn't have a problem with it because um, I reframed the idea of selling myself as in terms of thinking about what value do I bring to people? What is the value of what I offer? And do I believe in it? Do I believe that there's value of this thing, that there is actual value, you know, for people who come take my doula training or, or read my book? Like, do I believe in what I'm doing? And then if you, if you believe in what you're doing, whatever it is, whatever you're selling, if you feel it's a good product, if the product is you and you, your birth doula services, and you believe that that brings value to family, then you just, instead of thinking about selling yourself, 
you think of the, the real marketing message is the value you can bring. Like, how do you help families? What problems do they have that you're solving or that mm -hmm. you're going to help them anticipate and be proactive about? And they don't even know to ask that question right now. They don't even know that what they don't know. Nobody knows what they don't. Right. No. Yeah. So, so you, you know, so, so you focus on that and, you know, it takes that focus off of yourself. You're, you're, and as a good doula, we stay focused on our clients anyway. So, so what is the value you can bring them mm -hmm. and communicate that? And since you're passionate about being a birth doula, you can do that. And you are selling the service without thinking about like, you know, talking about yourself. Yeah. Brilliant. Cool. Cool. Okay. Yeah. That, and it, and then also you just stay truthful to what you are there for the first place. It's not about yeah. trying to coerce anyone into hiring you or anything. It's about staying no. truthful. Just about, you know, here's the value of this thing and here's how I can help. And, you know, um, let's explore whether or not um, what I offer is a, is a good match for your needs. You know, is this what you were hoping for? What are you guys looking for? Yeah. And, you know, and you just sort of started out, but if you don't feel like you have to pretend to be something you're not or be more experienced than you are, or, you know, you know, you're not a pretender, um, but you focus on your positive and what mm -hmm. you do bring, what you do feel strongly about and uh, people will, you know, they'll sort the they'll customers. See that. Yeah. Customers are smart. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Customers are smart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They'll, and they'll, in their gut, they might end up in the bottom end of it, you know, is going with their gut. Um, or they go with a strong recommendation or referral from a friend. So that's another thing is just, you know, creating, focusing on doing your best for each family that you work for. And then if you do that and, and they're happy with your services, then they're going to say good things about you and you'll get referrals from that. You know, so that will help. That's one way of marketing is just being really good at what you do. Yeah. Well, and also speak to the underselling. What does that do in the client's mind when they actually place more value on your services than you do? And you're kind of underselling. What does that kind of? Well, it undermines um, confidence in, you, in mm -hmm. your um, capacities. And, you know, it's like if you're basically um, like, expressing. I've attended 200 births. I've been a doula for 10 years and my rate's 200. And they're like, uh, yeah. How do you do well, that? <laughs> right. Or people say, you know, well, uh, my fee for birth doula services, I, I charge $1,200 for a package of services. And then somewhere in the, you know, in the next few sentence or two, they use the word, but. Yeah. <laughs> so like, so like, you know, and basically what it does is introduces does like, but I don't really charge $1,200. Like it's how much do you want to pay? Like, it's like, I'm really flexible. What can you afford? You know, and you undermine mm. yourself. Mm -hmm. by doing that and it does not inspire confidence in the client no. at all it's the opposite well, here's, here's a little trick that I discovered if you feel like you can't really price where you want to be but you want to test that out um you could do a menu where you say you set your price at two thousand dollars but if you're doing a home birth it's a five hundred dollar discount and if you took a birth education class then it's a hundred dollar discount and the way I I say the way I frame it, not that I don't believe I'm worth 2000, but if you're doing a home birth and you're ta and you've taken birth education and you have, um, you know, a great midwife, then it's less work on me. I'm not going to get called too early. Right. I'm not going to stay too long. And so it actually, it's actually benefits me. So it's a win-win for everyone. And I, that's, I found that it helps people frame the value around what I do, even though I, I'm really fine with less money than 2000, you know? Well, that's in my yeah, areas. But you, don't, but don't you can know that in yourself without 
without conveying it necessarily. Yes, exactly, client. exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. Am I willing to give somebody a discount who can't afford doula training? Yes. But then out. they feel that they earned the dis like that the discount yeah. is part of, you know, if they say, oh, I'm having a home birth and I get a five. Wow, that's so cool. I got a five hundred dollar discount. Whereas I was ready. I was ready to do that anyway because they were home birth. <laughs> right. Yeah. Home births are easier <laughs> to me. <laughs> well, I agree. Um, yeah. And but and, and I was always a childbirth educator when I was birth doing. So those two things were always you know, services I was offering. So yes, if people were my birth doula clients, I would give them a discount on the childbirth classes. Yeah, that makes a lot right? of sense. Because it was like, okay, you know, and, and vice versa, if they were taking my childbirth classes, they often, oftentimes that was a good funnel for people from, you know, in, I mean, by the end of a six week series, we're like, oh, we want Patty at our birth or we don't want to say goodbye, right? Yeah, and that's you know, it's the last <laughs> class. So we don't get to come next week. And we're like, well, I'd be happy to come to your birth. You know, so yeah. hire that's me for that. Problem, so. But also maybe that's something you could add as a doula is some childbirth education. But okay, so what are some of the like the actual costs of running a doula agency? I or business, sorry, not an agency. That's a big deal. Um, but you know, you don't what are the things you don't need to have right out of the gate? And what oh, are the, some okay. things that you really should invest in? Really good question. So um, when you said earlier that it was 50% of you know expenses, uh, in my mind, that's high, but it might be that way um, the first year or mm -hmm. you know, in the beginning, a lot of a lot of new business owners spend more, you know, for startup than they, you know, than they are over time. So like getting, you know, creating the bones of a website and having it designed, like, you know, maybe you'll upgrade that every three or four years. But I mean, you know, once you do it, you got it. So um, I, I would say that's one of the probably the biggest expense in becoming a doula is the training is that that initial training investment is, uh, you know, usually varying depending on who you go with, but, you know, anywhere from 500 to um, and above, depending on how many trainings you take and all of that. Um, so people are investing significantly there. Um, but then going forward, I mean, honestly, what I, I start was like, there's a category of basically need um, required desire. <laughs> yep. Need is, is your car in working order? Can yeah. you get to a birth? <laughs> Right. I mean, do you have a reliable way for people to get in touch with you? And do you, if you have children, do you have reliable childcare? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, those are the three. That's it. That's all you that's need. That's all you need. actually need. You don't so, even need a website. You don't need business cards. Right. You so, don't need a logo. Nope. What a waste of time and money to spend that. You know, you're stretching a small budget and your car is unreliable. I would focus there. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's, that's neat thing. Bottom line, what do I have to have to be able to do this? Right. And then the next thing is like, well, what do you, you know, require? Like you could conceivably be a birth doula without it, but, you know, kind of basic requirements to, to grow, I would say would be a website. I would focus on that. Mm -hmm. But if somebody really doesn't have the money for that, then start saving money, budget for it, you know, figure it out, maybe get a good presence, strong um, Facebook you know, Instagram page thing going where you have people who can find you uh, through social media, start doing professional networking and, and go for it. Mm -hmm. Like everybody has to start somewhere. So, yeah. so, you know, if you can come up with a whole list of reasons for not doing something, then, you know, okay, then, all right, don't do it. But yeah. if you want to say, I, I'm supposed to do this work. I need to do this work. I want to do it. How can I, and you're just going to persist through whatever challenges um, there are ways to still do that. Mm -hmm. Good point. So, Good point. 
um, so then, you know, need, I don't, so the other requirement, um, I mean, there's really not that much, but what there's this whole other um, kind of list, which is the, um, you know, the, the, the stuff that, that people get distracted by, like, um, you know, the, an office space. Oh, I have to have an office space for meeting with clients, or I have to have this $100 rebozo. Or, you know, I got to buy, oh, look at this place has this wonderful, you know, birth bag supply thing and I can get all these massage tools. I mean, you don't need that stuff. Yeah, that's, that's the want, that's the desire part of the business. And, and those can be on a wish list. Like, yeah, people give them to you. If, you know, if you do a volunteer birth and someone's like, oh, thank you so much. Is there any, you know, it's like, well, if you'd like to add to my birth bag, I have a list of some things, you know, that I would love, love to it. have. Yeah, right? I love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and so you can have that list, like keep the list, you know, put your desires and your dream things over there. Um, and, but just realize like, if you don't start like stretching that dollar to do the, what you need and require to actually, you know, be successful, then all that stuff is, is it's, wasted money. Yeah. It's wasted money. So when you do go to build your website, what are some of the tips you would offer to differentiate yourself from all the other doulas? Cause there are a lot of doulas in this world and that's okay. We need a lot. We, do. Army. we need an army, but how do you find your ideal client? What are the things that you would recommend? Well, I mean, I feel like you asked a couple different questions here, but yeah. <laughs> how to differentiate yourself. Um, you know, don't be afraid to be yourself and let your personality shine through. I, um, at one point, and, and just like, I can't tell you how lame some of the stuff is that I see. So I've had, I offered like free listings on my website for anybody. Like there's a free, like really basic listing. Um, when I offered that, it was like, here, send, this is what I need from you. And sometimes people didn't even give me their service area. And then I went, I, I took the extra step. I'm offering them a free thing. I took the extra step to go and like, okay, well, where is this website? It might've been somebody who took training for me, which is why I would extend myself. I mean, if I didn't even know them, had no relationship, I'd be like, oh, right. you know, but if it was somebody who trained with me, I'm like, oh, okay, she, she didn't tell me that. All right, where is she again? And I go on the website and I can't even find what their service area is. Like people will spend somewhere between 11 and 15 seconds on a, on a website before they leave it. If they don't find what they want on it, that's what the that's what we know from Google Analytics. So the longer you can keep somebody on your site, but you've got about 11 seconds to not have them be frustrated on your website. So the front and center, it should, they should be able to see who you are. I wanna see a picture of the doula, contact information, service area. You know, is it a birth doula, postpartum? What are your services? That should be like very easy for someone to see right on your homepage. Service area, I love it. Yep. yep. So that's really important. Um, what was your second question, Sarah? Oh, just how to differentiate yourself from, I mean, service area is a big one, but just personality wise, you said, don't be afraid okay. to be yourself. Yeah, part of that, it can be sort of subtle or not so subtle messaging on your website. So if there's a particular clientele that you want to serve, like you feel particular affinity, um, perhaps um, with a particular religious group or cultural group, um, or disadvantaged population of people, um, you know, like you can, you can be very specific about that. Um, if you want a, I mean, and again, you could be very specific or you might have like, let's say you're a Christian and you really would like to have Christian clients for the most part come to you. 
well, then maybe you wear a crucifix in your picture. Mm -hmm. Like that's going to give a strong message. Yeah, exactly. So so somebody who does not resonate with that, who is like, oh, no, I don't want that. Right. They're not going to, they're going to bounce off your site and go to somebody else. Yeah. And if that, and if that's something that you feel like, Hey, I really want, these people are my best match and this is who I want to serve and who I feel called to serve, then fine. You know, they'll, they'll find you. Um, and I think also just your, your face. I mean, you know, why hide the fact if you're, um, maybe a second career person who's coming back to this, I know a lot of, uh, women in their, uh, who are grandmothers take my doula training. Um, people are saying it's me time. I'm an empty nester now, or, you know, my children are gone or I thought, you know, um, and for the end of life, uh, doula stuff that I'm doing, a lot of people are older that are coming to that, but there's still some young people too. But anyway, I am just saying like, embrace it. It's like, yeah, I'm offering my wisdom, my life wisdom to you, you know, so that, that, and you have that picture of the person. So if you're somebody who's like, I'm kind of looking for somebody who's a really hip doula. And if she showed a couple of tattoos, in her picture, I'd be fine with that. And I'd know that she was like my type of person, right? Yeah, exactly. And you go ahead and so just be honest with who yourself. you are. Yeah, just yeah. be yourself. Just yeah, Be yourself and don't be afraid to show that. And if your attitude is one of like, like I really, I think one of the things I enjoyed the most about um, my doula work and, and enjoying the training right now is to have really diverse audience there. So I like the age range. I like, I, I like as, as all these different viewpoints. And, um, and so then, you know, I would, I would purposely pick out, make sure that um, the language on my website or the pictures I was using on my website uh, reflected that. Mm-hmm. And yep. so it doesn't have to be a list. I mean, it could be a very overt list of here's what I believe. And, you know, here's my, you know, it, but, or it could be more subtle, uh, but I think people can read between the lines and I think they'll, you know, so, so just don't be afraid to be yourself on your web, put some personality into it. Mm-hmm. Maybe have a short video of yourself. Yeah. Oh, that would be great. Yep. Because they can tell a lot from that video, whether that you're a good match or not. And if you keep them on the website for um, at least a minute, Google likes that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What that means means is that um, you'll start to rank. It'll build over time. You'll Mm -hmm. start to rank. But um, the, if the longer you can pe- keep people on your website, so they're not going to watch probably a three minute video. So don't overdo it. But like keeping them on there, it's like, oh, hey, intro, I get to see what this person says. And, yeah. Yeah. So um, last question, how do you fit it all in? How do you balance, uh, especially on call life with raising babies or other, other things? Yeah. Um, to very challenging, I think, um, especially in the beginning, when if you are still paying the groceries with another job, and yeah. you, can't, you can't quit your day job. And, you know, and this was my situation, I had my typing and editing business that I was doing out of my home. Um, I was doing childbirth education, I had a one year old and a seven year old, uh, you know, working husband. Um, but we didn't have very much money. And then I started that that one that particular year I'm thinking of, I went to 30 births that year. Mm, so when I look back on that Sarah I'm like I don't know how I did it that is a lot (laughs) but I do remember that that became a breaking point where I had to leave the other you know I got to a point where I just was like you know what I've been I've got five years in here uh training um you know getting name recognition getting my business out there it's poised for success but I'm stretched too thin and so 
it to me there came a point where there had to be like a leap of faith moment mm -hmm. of saying you know well I cannot continue to be this responsible to this many people like the people who were coming to me for typing and editing it's like I had to meet their dissertation deadline you know mm -hmm. for them that's like a birth yeah <laughs> so I mean it's really important that I not miss their deadline you're just so a doula all over the place you just you help birth dissertations you help birth. I, I did <laughs> I so it. yeah so anyway that's I think that um you know, at some point, something's got to go. The The other thing I did was I just started cutting down on other responsibilities. I mean, I just didn't say, I started cutting out like, okay, if I have to do this and these pieces are not negotiable, then the, uh, pretty much everything that is, and I don't mean my whole social life. I mean, you know, volunteering at church, um, being the school mom who volunteers to be, um, you know, to, to take the kids on the outing, you know, the, the chaperoning. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the beginning of the school year, I would go to my kids' teachers and say, here's my lifestyle. Here's what I do. I'm never going to sign up for any of this stuff. And I want you to know the reason why. And I said, however, um, I can be a good backup person for you because in the moment, I might be able to say yes to it, but I cannot commit to it in head. Yep, yep, yep. So basically said, setting so, boundaries. and, and yeah, So if another sure chaperone can't show up on the day of the trip, you know, and I'm... Me. And I'm not yeah. at a birth, like call me or mm -hmm. someone else can't bring in that, you know, the, the cookies, like I'll, I'll do it um, if I can. So you call me. Yeah. And then I just gave myself like permission to not feel guilty about that. I didn't yeah, guilt I love myself it. about it. I don't let anybody else guilt trip me. I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm okay with this. Mm -hmm. so carving out that time for yourself, saying no to things. I think having boundaries. And then my other big time management tool is to just really set goals and and to have some action steps for those goals so and and you have to attach a deadline to your goals you have to put mm -hmm. it in a time frame now it you might not meet those and then you can re you know you can reconfigure it um but to me that helps make it manageable um so that on monday morning when i wake up I'm like otherwise i just get overwhelmed like there's too much it's mm -hmm. still true for me it's still i still need goals not i mean all th all these years later I still need goals and like kind of action steps. Like, okay, I'm not in the mood for that today. Maybe I'll work on this one over here. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, that one involves researching and sitting at my computer. I'm not in the mood for that, but I could go um, check this thing out. Online. Yeah. You know, I, I could so basically making it work for you and eliminating the guilt surrounding what you do, because what you do is pro you provide value and you don't have to make excuses to people that you aren't there or whatever. Because Ultimately, you, you choose what's important to you. And for me, like I, I tell my clients, I am extremely busy. I run two businesses and I have kids and a very awesome husband that I want to spend time with. But um, so I'm very busy. But yeah. when I come to your birth, I'm 100% present. And you and I promise you that, that I'm 100% present. But it does take me during the day two hours to get to your birth. Like you got to give me two hour warning because I've got to get all of the things in a row so that I can come to your birth and be present the whole time. And it goes really well. There's a, there's a, a respect for my time and there's a, you know, well, and then people needing me outside. Yep. And I just tell my entire team, my, you know, my employees, Hey, I'm headed to a birth and they know where they're on birth mode. <laughs> um, yep. Wow. So how do people find more about you and your, your book and your website and all the amazingness? Um, well, thanks Sarah. Yeah. So um, my, my current business is lifespandoulas.com. And the idea is providing doulas for the 
these major transitional events throughout the I know life. we didn't even get to yeah. talk about uh, uh, postpartum and, well, we talked mostly about birth duels, but postpartum right. and death. Right. But I mean, that's okay. Um, because a doula is a doula. So that, that was part of the thing. I mean, there's certain skill set and, and a way of being with people and that doula model of care, the non-judgment, the non-clinical kind of aspect, you know, where mm -hmm. you're um, supporting people through their process is true, whether it, it the process is birth or, you know, getting used to being a new parent and learning to breastfeed your baby or, um, you know, what, transitioning and, out of transitioning here. <laughs> at the end of life and, and all the decision and grief and everything that people are navigating at that point. So it's very similar sort of skill set. So anyway, we offer online training um, and it's uh, a choice between self, it's basically self-paced. A lot of it is self-paced. So you asked earlier how long it takes. It depends on how quickly you want to work through, for, you know, 35 hours mm -hmm. of online materials and classes. So people who are hot to track can do it quickly. Um, other people might just take their time and, and, and you know, their self-paced might be slower and that's fine too. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's workshop, a weekend workshop shop component to, to the training where we're live on Zoom and give people a chance to interact and process together some of what they're learning, ask questions and all of that. Um, so yeah, so that anyway, the, those trainings are, I have more information on my website about that. My book so is for sale. There Sorry, too. just about your training. You're all over. So you can take your training all over the world because yes. you're all online. That is so cool. Not very many yeah. trainings are doing that. And, and what I'm noticing too, is that I am getting calls from all over the world. And for, so some people it's like the training, the live component is, you know, in the middle of the night for them. Um, and so, yeah, I'm making, um, by the end of this year, I plan to have a hundred percent self-paced option available for people who want to, you know, just complete that and get the certification. So um, working on that piece right now, that's my goal. Uh, one of the goals I'm working on for towards the end of the year. Um, that's and, really exciting. That's, then, that's, then it makes it good, accessible doula training all over the world. And that's my, um, that's kind of a theme. I mean, of what I'm doing with the certification too, is to make doulas more accessible. Um, to make it affordable for people to become doulas and to, you know, to get certified and to launch these businesses. And um, yeah, that's, that's a huge piece of, I think, what I've always been about is making, uh, I, I think all families should be able to benefit from this. Mm -hmm. And um, because we're so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, my, my book is also available on the website the two books the workbook um, is kind of an implement implementation tool for people like a lot of detail in the doula business guide the workbook is more like here like do this and kind of lead you through some different um, you know different pieces of it um, um, and there's also a workshop available the book is also available on amazon if people are interested awesome 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 uh, so say the website just one more time so lifespandoulas.com. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure to talk to you. It's so cool to finally meet someone with this amount of scale in the, in the doula training world. And, and you have so much experience. It's just, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Sarah. I appreciate it. Um, the opportunity to share with your audience. Please visit us at birthcircle.com, join our Facebook groups, or find us on Instagram and Pinterest. We hope you'll use our resources to support your birthing experience.